Hi there and welcome to another Osler podcast from the 2021 ANZICS Clinical Trials Group Meeting in Noosa, Australia. Delirium in the ICU patient is extremely common. Despite this, it is well known that delirium remains underdiagnosed in the clinical environment. Efforts to improve identification have enabled progress, with many units adopting specific screening procedures. So, are we doing better? Melissa Angraves is a senior ICU pharmacist at Melbourne Health in Victoria, Australia, and the lead author of a recent publication which looked at this topic. She joins me today on the podcast to share their findings. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's really nice to be here. Melissa, how big a problem is delirium in ICU patients? So worldwide, delirium is recognised as a serious and frequent event for patients in the ICU. However, that incidence does vary widely with reports between 16 to 89%, and that depends on how the diagnosis is made and the geographical region that's being studied. And delirium is an important condition to identify, as a diagnosis of delirium is associated with a marked increase in mortality and substantially impaired long-term cognitive function as well. Melissa, what are the current recommendations about how we should go about screening for delirium in ICU patients? So international clinical practice guidelines, and I'm going to tell you the title, but it's a bit of a mouthful. So it's clinical practice guidelines for the prevention and management of pain, agitation, sedation, delirium, inability, and sleep disruption in the ICU. These were published in Crick Care Med in 2018. And these guidelines recommend that all critically ill adults should be regularly assessed for delirium using a validated tool. And it should be recognised that there's been a recent change in requirements for hospital accreditation, where preventing delirium and managing cognitive impairment has now become a component of the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality and Healthcare, sorry, hospital accreditation. And accordingly, all hospitals and therefore ICUs in Australia should have a process to detect delirium. Now, from our recently published study, we know that the most commonly used tools to clinically detect delirium at the bedside in Australia and New Zealand ICUs is the Confusion Assessment Method for the ICU, or CAM-ICU. And it makes sense that all ICUs in our region use the same tool, as this would allow better benchmarking between sites, better understanding of the epidemiology and outcomes associated with delirium, and eventually better treatments for delirium. Melissa, you recently completed and published a study uh, which used data from the Point Prevalence Study here run by the ANZICS Clinical Trials Group. How are we doing in Australasia in terms of detecting delirium? Yeah, so of the 627 patients in our study, 54% or 336 of them had at least one delirium screening assessment performed, with a fifth of these screened patients having delirium. And as mentioned previously, CAMICU was the most frequently used tool, with 88% of the screened patients assessed using this tool. And it's worth noting that whilst just over half of all patients included had a delirium assessment completed on this study day, 77% or 34 of the sites did have a documented protocol policy or guidelines for the assessment of delirium in ICU. So the number of 54% seems quite low, given that a lot of um, institutions have a documented protocol. What do you think the reasons for this might be? I guess it's a few things. So whilst only just over half of patients included in the study were screened, this is actually a big improvement on Australian New Zealand point prevalence data from 10 years earlier, where delirium assessment was actually very infrequent. Uh, we definitely need ongoing education staff on the importance of following these international clinical practice guidelines and their own re- local recommendations. As you alluded to, 77 centre sites um, noted they did have this document outlining the assessment of delirium in ICU. And I guess it's also important for us to acknowledge that a limitation of our study was that we made missed assessments of delirium on the study day. And these may have been, uh, I guess, recorded in a way that local data collectors did not, re- not recognise or they could not ascertain. 
I mean, you also need to be able to follow verbal commands to be assessed as well. Melissa, your, your study also looked at the current management of delirium in Australasia. What did you find? So due to the lack of um, unequivocal evidence, it's not surprising that there's considerable variety in approaches to treatment across Australia and New Zealand. And looking at medication administration during the study day, uh, 18% or 111 of our 627 patients were administered at least one drug commonly used to treat delirium, with quetiapine being the most frequently administered. And this was followed closely by clonidine, dexmedetomidine and olanzapine. It's important to note that 46 of these 111 patients who did receive a drug did not have a delirium recession recorded on the study day. And I think this is quite mind-boggling, and it definitely appears to be room for improvement. But we do, however, acknowledge the limitation of our study is that we didn't record medication indications, and consequently patients could have been prescribed these medications for an indication unrelated to delirium, for example, clonidine for hypertension. Um, in regards to physical restraints, data on the presence of physical restraint was recorded for 626 patients, with 8% or 48 of patients being restrained at some point during that study day. Now, of the 48 patients physically restrained in our 2019 data set, only eight had delirium, with 15 screened as not having delirium, and 25 actually having no formal assessment recorded. A lot of patients were receiving either antipsychotics or being restrained or both, um, but not necessarily mm -hmm. being documented as having delirium. Is, does your gut feel tell you that... Um, that these are patients who are not being formally diagnosed or documented as having delirium? Or do you feel that there are other reasons why they might be received these therapies? I guess from the study, we, we can't tell, but my, my gut feeling would be that um, these patients are maybe uh, not being screened uh, and are consequently not documented as being delirious, but um, may, may be delirious. So I guess based on the fact that, our, as, as you pointed out, our um, the delirium assessment um, rate was, you know, 54%. So what does the current evidence uh, tell us about the best way to manage delirium in the ICU, Melissa? So there are only two placebo-controlled trials showing effectiveness of any drug intervention in established ICU delirium. Uh, there's a three-centre study by Devlin and colleagues, and this was published in 2010. This included 36 critically ill patients with delirium and compared the efficacy and safety of quetiapine to placebo, showing, showing a shorter time to resolution of delirium in the quetiapine arm. The Dahlia study, which was published in 2016, this is the second study, it's an important multi-centre randomised control trial, and this was endorsed by the ANZICS clinical trials group, and they included 74 patients with hyperactive delirium receiving mechanical ventilation, and participants were randomised to Dexmed or placebo, and Dexmed is an increased ventilator three hours and seven days. So as you can see, there's really limited evidence to guide drug therapy, and it's very challenging. But it is worth noting that there are a number of other trials that compare different drugs with and without placebo. An example of this is the Girard trial. From um, It was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2018. Very well-conducted study. And they compared haloperidol to prasidone and placebo. But almost 90% but almost of the patients had hyperactive delirium. And I think treating patients with drugs for hypoactive delirium may not be effective. Whereas the patient in front of the nursing and medical staff who is agitated and hyperactive, um, they do need some form of treatment. Now, you mentioned hypoactive delirium there. There are many studies that have pointed to the fact that this seems to be a more common form of delirium in ICU patients. Yet, in your mm -hmm. study, it seems that most patients had hyperactive delirium. What do you make of this finding? Uh, in our study, it's completely correct. We had more patients with hyperactive delirium than hypoactive delirium. But I guess the numbers were very small. Um, we had 18 um, patients identified as hyperactive delirium, 10 as hypo, and two as mixed. Um, so I think that these numbers, while we did have more hyperactive, um, it's probably more difficult to come out given the numbers were so small.
And I guess um, we would like to have more patients who had their type of delirium specified, um, but that just wasn't the case for the study. Where would you like to see things go from here, Melissa? What are the key areas that we need to invest in research in delirium in the near future? So as I mentioned in the paper, the use of restraints in the healthcare setting has psychological, ethical and legal ramifications, but unrestrained, hyperactive, delirious patients may cause harm to themselves or to staff. So it does appear prudent that future research includes evaluation as to the effects of chemical and physical restraints on patient-centred outcomes uh, and both patient and healthcare worker safety as well. And I also think that research should focus on hyperactive delirium, whereas the approach frequently used during North American trials um, includes both hyperactive and hypoactive delirium. But this may result in, in I guess, missing important observations if we just um, compared to if we just focused on the one type of presentation. And as I mentioned, um, hyperactive delirium was the most prevalent announced in our um, study, although there weren't very big patient numbers. Um, so this is a potentially another reason why we might want to focus on hyperactive delirium in Australia and New Zealand, um, and I guess also looking at dr- the most frequently used drugs. So that was quetiapine, the alpha-2 agonist, and the lanzapine um, as well. Melissa, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast to share your insights into the management of delirium in ICU patients. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Get access to all our podcast interviews, including the full series from the ANSIC CTG meeting in Noosa, along with hundreds of modules, journal reviews, quizzes and articles by downloading the free app. Search for My Osler wherever you get your apps or visit our website at oslacommunity.com.